Welcome to Pantasocracy, and this is your host, Ms. Panty Bliss. Oh, oh. Thank you. <laughs> so welcome, Amy, to our Pantasocracy parlor, and tonight we have a, well, a house full of eclectic music and diverse chat for your pleasure. Uh, joining me tonight in the cabaret of conversations, first of all, we have a woman who hails from the Appalachian Mountains, but who has chosen to become Irish. God help her. It's Erin Fornoff. Erin is a spoken word artiste, and we'll be hearing some of those words later. She went from working on Barack Obama's 2008 campaign to pitching her tent here in Dublin and setting up shop as a weaver of words. And I'm looking forward to hearing some of those later. Um, next, we have, um, well, I think we could say a modern troubadour. He's a man who's given a song to stories of the Irish famine and brought them to life. Singer and songwriter Declan O'Rourke. Declan is a dub, but his family went to Australia when he was 10, but then these shores, as they have a knack of doing, pulled him back, and he's now settled in Kinvara in the county of Galway, which is the place where his own grandfather came from, and not to be too Elton John about it, that sounds like a circle of life. <laughs> Welcome, Declan. <laughs> then we have a woman with a... Soprano voice, a musical woman, and a woman with a list of achievements which is, well, frankly, quite intimidating. She sings, she composes, she conducts, she plays the piano, and she even boxes. So uh, please welcome Shifra Quinlan. And as you probably guessed, with a name like Shifra, she was born and raised in San Francisco and only came back to Dublin when she was seven, probably just to stop people asking how to pronounce her name. And today she's making music in concert halls and in direct provision centres, like Mosny, where she uses music in workshops with refugees. So welcome again, Shifra. And we have a young woman with a very big voice. It's Tolu McKay. Now, Tolu came to Ireland uh, as a five-year-old from Nigeria to Offaly. And if you look up culture shock in Wikipedia, you'll find a picture of that. Um, she's now part of a growing wave of emerging Afro-Irish talent. Tolu, or as her mother might say, <coughs> Tolulupe. Okay. <laughs> close enough, that's close enough. Uh, she grew up singing in church and choirs, much like one of her own fabulous influences, Miss Whitney Houston. And I think it is fair to say that your style is more diva than street. Uh, so please welcome Tolu. <laughs> but before we get to hear much more from our fabulous guest, well, you have the exquisite pleasure of hearing from moi, because um, my name is in the title of the show. <laughs> Where are you from? I mean, it's a question that we ask and get asked all the time. Well, not in my case, obviously. In my case, it's how oh, you look so good. But it's a close second. Where are you from? And yet, as a question, it's almost never quite up to the job at hand. I mean, there are conceivably situations where someone might care to know where exactly you are from, but they are so particular and rare that I can't really think of one offhand. 
And presumably, if someone was really inquiring where exactly on the planet you are from, they would be delighted were you to answer with GPS coordinates of longitude and latitude. <laughs> where am I from? Well, if you really must know, 53 degrees 37 seconds north, 9 degrees 13 minutes, 16.1 seconds west. <laughs> I'll save the nerds among you the bother. Yes, that is the bog road, Ballon Road, County Mayo. <laughs> but of course, that's not what they're really asking, is it? I mean, they are trying to place you, but not on a map. They are trying to place you in their world. And to do that, they need points of information from which they can triangulate your correct position. Where you're from, who you're from, what you're from. What they're really asking is, where do you belong? And there are no easy coordinates for where do you belong. Where you're from is, for most of us, a fairly simple, straightforward question with a fairly simple, straightforward answer. A street, a town, a townland, a county, a country. Though even it's a question that is enough to make some of us, including, I suspect, some of our guests this evening, break out in a sweat. You know, those of us whose life's trajectory hasn't been straightforward and simple. And, of course, it depends on who's asking. You know, my own father, if asked by, say, an American, will confidently answer Ireland. But... Being the son of a Garda, who moved the family from station to station, if an Irish person asks him, he'll hesitate before mumbling Navan and hoping for the best. Which, in fairness, is all anyone from Navan can really do. <laughs> Hope for the best. But where do you belong is an existential question, not easily answered when chatting to a stranger on the train to Houston. You know, where we belong is a question to which the answer, for most of us, is elusive, evolving. For most of us, where we belong is slowly discovered, revealed, found, or made. It is a place, but not a place on any map. It's a place woven from feeling and memory and familiarity and faces, from heart and hope and loss, from comfort and connection and rootedness, from you and yours, from breath a breath finally exhaled or breathed easy. Where do you belong? You belong where you love and feel loved. The love of family, friends, lovers, neighbors, community. You know, we pre-record this show. Well, our guests are just too fabulous to expect them all to gather in one particular spot at any one particular prescribed time. And so by the time this show airs, hopefully, barring any unforeseen mishaps and hopefully to the surprise of tabloid photographers, I'll be a married woman. And it turns out that after 50 years, I belong where Mr. Bliss is, and he belongs where I am. And you won't find that on any map. <laughs> yes, my mother is very relieved. <laughs> Um, Declan, I'm going to come to you first. In my head, the theme of today's show is blow-ins, because you are all basically a bunch of blow-ins. So yours is interesting because in some ways your story, I think, goes to the heart of what belonging is about. Not to put words in your mouth, but I'm going to. <laughs> because yeah. you were okay. born in Dublin, the family goes to Australia, you come back and you end up in Hinvara, and then you discover a real connection to Hinvara, that had been a mystery beforehand, sort of. Tell us that story. Well, my grandfather came from Kinvara. He left there around 1937, moved to England. I suppose he married a woman there, ended up living in Dublin. It was a Dublin woman. 
she passed away. They had a few children. My mother's mother was similar. She had children. Her husband passed away. Then they married and had more children. So a blended family, as they would say. A blended family, like an Irish Brady Bunch, really. (laughs) And it ended up, there was 15 of them. But then he ended up spending the rest of his life in Dublin. And he was a painter and a sign writer by trade, but painted these incredible scenes of this little village in Kinvara, really, you know, in Galway. And this gorgeous castle, which was literally a couple of hundred meters from his house. He would have looked at this every day, you know, mm. and a couple of generations going back to. We don't know how long our family was there. But he died in 1980. And I think uh, there was always this kind of sense of mystery amongst the children and the siblings mm. that he, he reminisced about this place an awful lot. But never talked about relatives and never went there, never brought them there. He was doing his paintings from memory. Yeah, just really dreamy kind of scenes, you know. And so after he died, they were curious and they started to try and visit there and find out a bit more. And they talked to some of the older people who at that time were people who knew him, trying to get bits of information and they were trying to piece things together. And he, it seemed he'd never gone back and couldn't bring himself to go back. And... uh they found out maybe 20 years ago or so, they found his birth cert and it said he'd been born in the workhouse with the little bits that the locals imparted to them slowly over time, carefully. They learned that his mother was probably sent to the workhouse. You're talking times of real church and state. And he was born in 1916. 1916, so really yeah. Pivotal. And. Around the time he was 19 or 20, he wanted to go to England to study art. But he asked one of the local priests for a a reference because he did a lot of work for the church, fixing up little paintings on the altars and all kinds of... And at that point, the priest apparently told him that he couldn't give him a reference because he was illegitimate. And that was him kind of finding out. And that's why he was in the workhouse, because he was born out of wedlock. Exactly. His mother would have been sent there to have the baby quietly. And, you know, and in some ways, you know, if you consider all the stuff that happened with Tum and all that, he's probably one of the lucky ones that wasn't mm. taken from his, from his family. But still, you know, he grew up with some kind of sense of shame or embarrassment about it when he knew that everyone else in this small place knew that and he hadn't known it. And so growing up, I was fascinated by the fact that he was an artist. I was inspired by that. I wanted to be an artist from the time I was very young because of that. And um, I kind of inherited some of that mystery. And I don't know. Wanting to understand it, you know. Mm. I think I've felt the pain of that, you know. How did you end up in Kinvara? Because you didn't know this when you went there first, did you? Well, we didn't know all of that, no. But uh, actually, first when I was about 24, 25, I was visiting Galway with some friends that were home from Australia. We were staying in Salt Hill or something. And... um, I said to them, hey, we should go and find this place my granddad was from, you know, and we got in the car and got a map out or whatever, and we drove, and we got to this point where we drove over this, the brow of a little hill, mm. and all of a sudden the town appeared, and the castle, and you know, gorgeous. Where it's absolutely beautiful, one of the most beautiful places in Ireland, 
And, you know, instantly it was these paintings coming to life and I, I was in floods of tears and, and I really felt that thing. I felt this thing like it was home, like I belonged there, you know. And um, I ended up saying I'd love to spend some time here, not moved there or anything. And, you know, a few years later, just something happened and I, was, I had the opportunity to look at buying a house and the boom was happening and I said, I'm going west. That was it, and I've been there 12 years now. Well, you look like someone who has a banger can vow off you. <laughs> you. And, of course, now you're, you're, you're married and have kids, and you're raising yeah. a family there. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Your, your wife is an interesting woman, too. She is indeed, yeah, yeah, for lots of reasons. <laughs> well, well the, the, the headline one for me is she's a stunt woman. That's right, yeah. 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 Stunt woman and a cellist. Dead common combination. They are an <laughs> incredible combination. Aren't they cover both ends of the spectrum, really. You know, you're raising Galway kids. Yeah, and actually, our little boy—he was born last year, and uh, he was the first member of the family born into the town in 102 years. Oh, okay. It's it's really sweet, you know. Uh, he loves it. Kinvara's, you know, beautiful, and well, but I have a little thing, you know, about Galway because I'm from very South County Mayo. Right, yeah, 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 like right on the Galway border, and my nieces and nephews technically are Galwegians, but sure. I refuse to accept that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Aaron, now you also did a, a transplant in a way, but yours is more extreme. Appalachian Mountains to Dublin. To Dublin, yeah. I was supposed to come for a year, and it's been 10 now. People say that yeah. all the time, don't they? Yeah. I mean, nobody ever plans these things. I no. Know. Yeah. no. So how did you first end up here? I got a job uh, at a charity and I was waiting after the Obama campaign. They were trying to put all the staff into jobs in the government, but they said it would take eight months or a year. And so I just couldn't wait around that long. The other thing that happens on big political campaigns like that is like you're all like stressed and like eating all your meals together and working till midnight. So everybody just like hooks up and then falls in love. <laughs> okay. And then when the campaign's over, all of the relationships collapse. <laughs> so I was just like completely heartbroken over some like political operative. Okay. So I was much more willing to like get on a plane and get the hell out of Dodge. And you're, you were called Aaron, so it just seemed yeah. inevitable. <laughs> yeah. Americans actually think that all Irish people are named Aaron. Yes, they're like, Colleen. oh, there must be so many of you guys over there. And I'm like, no, it's actually like a compost brands. Like, I worked at a homeless shelter for a while when I was first here. And all the guys used to call me Hot Cup. <laughs> and I, I kept wondering if it was uh, like inappropriate. And then they're like, no, the soup. Oh, that took me a second. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. to them, you're a soup brand. Yeah. Well, Aaron, now you're going to uh, do a piece for us. Yes. Um, do you want to uh, talk us into it? Yeah, so it's kind of just about the different ways that home exists. And when you move from one place to another place, you kind of realize there's the home that you came from and then the one that you decide for yourself. And then I think a sense that everybody who isn't living where they came from of being kind of stuck between two worlds and trying to figure out, you know, what part of this do you carry with you intrinsically yep. and what part of it is... Or, based just on your surroundings. And uh, people may be already f quite familiar with this because it had quite a life on YouTube. And Yeah, my um, boyfriend, Dave Knox, he's a videographer, followed me from going from my house in Harold's Cross on the bus to the airport, through security, to JFK, to North Carolina, and then my parents picking me up and home, and then all the way back as well. 
So we made that into the split screen video, which went kind of viral, you know, got all these nice messages from people, but also got these emails from reality TV casting directors, <laughs> like those home improvement shows or those like real estate shows, like <laughs> wanting to put me on reality TV shows about like Irish real estate. <laughs> <laughs> and you, you turned on that lucrative and fabulous offer. Well, the, there was the, the sticking point was you have to buy a house in Ireland <laughs> at the end of it, <laughs> which is hard to do on a spoken word poet uh, yeah, salary. Yeah, so well. I think so. Okay, well, yeah. let's uh, hear it. Okay. Great. Home. Is it on me like a tattoo or in me like an accent? Or is it just the first stop on a long route where I keep a toothbrush in the bathroom? Is it on me like complexion? Is it in me to the marrow? Or is it just a bad Skype connection, the way my slang is inflected now? And maybe I love to feel a little bit exotic, the chance to be whoever I wanted, move over here and feel like an artist, but to walk into a room with my whole life known. Three years, I'll be gone longer than I was ever home. Is it on me like an outfit? Is it in me like a wish? Or is it the end of a transatlantic flight to where all my anecdotes live? Is it on me like a label? Is it in me like a habit? Or is it when my mom says, I think you're staying there, baby. And I've got silence in response to it. My old friends don't call much when they're upset, but I don't call them either. I don't know my mom's routine well, don't know what to tell my father. And that Dublin damp, it might keep the Carolina dust down. But when I go home, my eyes well up at the smell of the ground. Is home what I knew or is home what I know? And how do you know when to stay and when to go? Is it on me like a burden? Is it in me like a kindness? Is it on me like a yearning? Is it in me like a conscience? Is it on me like a posture? Is it in me like confession? Is it on me like an option? Is it in me like a lesson? How do I name the pull in my bones? In three years, I'll be gone longer than I was ever home. Thank you. Tolu, I'm going to come to you next. So, your family moved here when you were five. Yes, actually, my mom was here before us, mm -hmm. and then my dad brought us here when I was five. And it was to Offaly. Yeah. How did Offaly loom large in your... <laughs> Offaly, uh, I don't know, it was strange. I, I felt like growing up, I wasn't really, like, conscious. I was living, but I wasn't, like, aware what was going on until years after but then growing up in Offaly taught you the culture of Ireland yeah I loved Offaly there's a lot of back and forth with you yeah my mom is very like keen on us making sure that we get the best of both worlds mm. so we go to Nigeria like every year as much as possible if we can over two years yeah um you know just to see the other side of family see what the tradition is like see what the mentality is like mm. and she she does this thing where she's like you know you can pick and choose the best of what you can see from both sides you have the advantage to do that so like you know do it well, that's use a great it. attitude but, but yeah. then i mean people who 
they're searching for a sort of a marker in a mm. way. Um, but you seem very comfortable in your skin about it. I don't know. I feel like why well, always try and like find an answer for everything. Mm. I just don't feel the need to yep. try and find a very fine, final point and be like, that is exactly who I am. Mm. I think it's all an experience. It's all a lesson. If somebody in, in, at home in Nigeria says to you, where are you from? And somebody at home in Offaly says, where are yeah. you from? Do you give them the, both the same answer or do you give them different no, answers? No, the responses. Is, <laughs> yeah. So I meet some people on the street, like in Ireland, and they're like, oh, where are you from? And I'm like, yeah, from Offaly. And they're like, Offaly, what? <laughs> what? Yeah, and I'm like, yeah. And they're like, no, where are you like really from? And I'm like, okay, Nigeria. And they're like, yeah, all right, cool. And, but then when I go back to Nigeria, they're like, oh, where are you from? You don't sound like you're from Nigeria. Yeah. And I'm like, uh, okay. Um, yeah, I'm from Dublin, Ireland. They're like, ah, uh, I see. It's like you don't really belong in either one. That's an experience that Irish people can, a lot of Irish people can identify with because we're a country that's exported ourselves, <laughs> you know. So I think that's a sort of an Irish experience too. Yeah. It's an experience and it's my life, my truth, what I'm living yeah. in. So Shifra. So you're called Shifra. But you're born and raised in San Francisco. Yeah, I mean, I think that was my parents having a definite identity crisis of their own. Or a sense of humour. Um, but a bit of both. <laughs> but moving to the States being like, let's call her the most Irish thing imaginable. They don't speak Irish themselves at all. And they went for the most Irish spelling. They were like, let's throw in the BH while we're at it. <laughs> so just years of school of like, um, Seobaraha, Quinnon, like it's Shifra. <laughs> they always told me that the name meant Queen of the Fairies and I was delighted with myself. That kind of made up for all the hassle of the spelling. I thought that was Whitney Houston, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> but then I was back, I was bartending in San Francisco in an Irish bar, no less. And one of these kind of like Gaelic scholars comes in and tells me, in fact, my name means changeling. And I was like, God, this guy's a lunatic. Like, get out of my bar. And then Googled it straight away and it meant changeling. And it was just this whole other darker mythological meaning to the name that I'd never been told. Yeah, but, but, <laughs> but, you know, to my mind... Being called Changeling is much more interesting. Oh yeah, no, I'm, I'm, on, I'm on board with it now. Yeah, no, I've written a song called Changeling and everything. Like it's, okay. it's, it's, it's I've, I've taken it on. Queen of the Fairies is, is a bit. I know. I, I kind of outgrew that when I was seven, I guess. And so, so, so what age were you when you came here? So I was seven. But how long ago was that then? So, so I'm 28 now, okay. but I've basically gone back in kind of seven year increments. So I moved to Ireland when I was, when I was seven because our family is is entirely Irish. We'd go home once or twice a year. I think I always felt Irish, but then growing up in, in San Francisco as a kid, and at that time in the early 90s, it was just such an incredible place to be. And I went to this cool like French school in Chinatown, and it was extremely multicultural, and um, we went to a lot of cool stuff. Mostly just because a lot of cool stuff happened in the city, whether you decided to go to it or not. You'd just you know, bump into the Gay Pride Parade, or you'd bump into Chinese New Year. There was just sort of constant buzz and activity and then I went to an all-girls Catholic school in Ireland <laughs> I was like what has happened yeah you have dual citizenship I do which is extremely extremely handy indeed mm. so yeah I've started it's only kind of recently that I've actively begun going back to the states I suppose on my own accord and not with my parents yeah which is only really this year the first time that I've started gigging over there and like realizing the value of you know not having to apply for an artist visa. Yes, artist visas are a pain in the neck. Complete yeah. pain in the neck, yeah. So just kind of realizing the, the freedom that that gives me and I'm, I'm kind of trying to go back and forth a good bit more now. 
Hmm. I mean, the city's changed so much in the space of 20 years. And I was there recently and you're strolling along and I always kind of try to do the rounds of, you know, okay, that was my preschool, that was my old apartment, that was our other old house. And then it's like, oh, the old kindergarten is now a Google. Yes, thing. And, <laughs> the whole um, town is owned by it's tech. All, it's all owned by tech, yeah. Be careful what you say about Google. Because <laughs> we have one of the... Uh, oh, we have a Google uh, We have a Google eyes. A Googler here. Totally, you work for Google, right? Yeah, I recently got the job like two months ago. And of course, everybody of your generation wants to work in bloody Google, don't they? Because they, they get free meals <laughs> free and the fancy the offices yeah. that you can fall asleep and everything. It's cool, yeah. Declan, you, yeah. speaking of dual citizenship, uh, yes, you're, you're, you're Aussie. we have a lot in common, actually. I have an Australian passport. And I remember, actually, it was when I was a kid and moved there and um, my sister was a year older than me and we both, in school, because, you know, especially when you're Irish and you're living abroad, everyone wants you to say 333 over and over and all this kind of, you know. And so you started, very quickly we had little Australian accents, but when you got home after school, you switched back to Irish. You didn't want your parents to know you're losing your... And then there was, the, and then if you had a, one of your friends in the house, you were in this very dangerous zone, yeah. where you, and you'd be yeah. very quiet, you know, <laughs> and find the words that fit in both accents and all this, you know, mum and mom or mom. Oh yeah, well, mum and mom or ma, these things can really separate the weak from yeah. the strong, you know, yeah. your teenagers. Your but you can use those kind of things to your advantage. Like, um, I get away with so much stuff here. Because of my American accent. Oh, you know? sure, like, yeah. People attribute things that are actually just like inherent personality flaws, like to me being American. <laughs> and <laughs> I'm a terrible driver, and I've gotten like stopped by the guards for speeding and stuff. And then you just are like, oh my God, I am so sorry. I've just like loved driving around Ireland. Like, I'm going to Galway, <laughs> to Donegal. I am so sorry, officer. Oh my God. Like, you could just use those kind of things to your yes. advantage so much. Well, foreigners are absolved of you know, things in general. Yeah. Now, Tolly, you, of course, are bilingual. Yes. I speak Yoruba. Actually, when I was growing up, when I was in Nigeria, I was speaking to my granny, and she was like, You were able to speak AUSA. So AUSA is a different language because uh-huh. where, where I'm from is a mix of AUSA, two different tribes. And how's your Gaelga? Tashegma. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> that, that, that's good. Of course, I spend a lot of time in Australia, Declan, and that's a whole other language in itself. You know, they have to abbreviate everything. And my favorite Australian abbreviation is Renau. They never say renovation. It's a Renau. I right, doing a rena. How's the rena going? And I'm just like, you can't. That's not even a common word. You know? <laughs> now, Tolu, we're going to yes. have a song from you. Yes, you are. So, do you want to tell us about the song before you? Um, so, the song is called Goodbye. It's about an ex. Mm. The last thing that he said that really resonated with me was that I would never find anyone better than him. So, um, <laughs> yeah. Oh, how long ago did, did this you break is like up? Three years ago, but the, the the words still hurt. I'm like, oh, okay, fine. Um, but was yeah, he Irish or Nigerian? Like, he was he? Nigerian, both, yeah. Yeah, so the song is to him and other people that think they can try me. <laughs> 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 yeah. Nice one. Okay, well, let's uh, hear it. Right. Mm-hmm. 
right after you left me Did you think that I would drown myself in tears While I took myself to sleep Well, goodbye to you Oh, goodbye So what will you to do? I'll be okay, I know for sure that when Fine without you I know if I fall I'll be able to pick myself and soar I'm just happy it's over I can be myself now that we're done and it's over It took me time for me to see who I am But now I understand no matter what I am strong I'm just happy it's over I can be myself now that we're done and it's over Well, One of the stereotypes that turns out to have a lot of grains of truth about Nigerian parents is how they're very invested in education oh, yes. and they want you to become <laughs> lawyers and study hard Doctors, and all that. Yeah. And they're not necessarily the easiest parents to say, actually, I want to sing or I want to mm. you know, do music for a career. How do, you, how do your parents about it? I think, like, my mom is the one that's, like, here with us, and she's always supportive of anything that we want to do. Obviously, with her, you know, with how it is with Nigerian parents, they want you to have a backup plan. They want you to be very secure. And the traditional way of doing that back in the day, you know, was doctor, lawyer, nurses, all that kind of stuff. But um, she's always been very supportive. Like, even when I was in um, Clara doing a competition for uh, Midlands Got Talent, she did, like, a massive poster. She got a bus for people to come down for the show. <laughs> like, yeah, she's, she's been supportive all throughout. Good, yeah. good. Now, Shifra, I mean, you, you're steeped in music, so you're using it in the direct vision centers like Mosni and so on. How did that come about, and what exactly are you 
doing. A few years ago, I guess I kind of mm. had to reconsider the function of music. Yeah. When you were a musician and you're kind of in that industry and you're, you kind of take for granted that it's just this enormous communicative tool and the power to sort of foster and, and translate empathy. And yeah, it was actually when I was living in Berlin and I was studying over there and it happened to be at the time of kind of the first major influx from, from Syria that summer and happened to be living up the road from what turned into an enormous refugee centre. It was Tempelhof Airport, it was sort of an emergency centre and began volunteering there, but then also began starting these very kind of haphazard singing circles and music groups. And it just kind of also reignited the whole, the power of music without sounding cheesy about it. Mm -hmm. And it's something that has just really fed into my work massively and when I moved back to Ireland about two years ago yeah I got to know this wonderful woman who was living in Mosny and um, she's now living in Hatch Hall mm. but she basically connected me with a lot of residents and similar to what we were doing in Berlin but it was just singing circles in people's kitchens and having cups of tea and and you met a friend of ours at the show Farah Ale yeah she's yeah so recently myself and Farah so th through sort of getting to know a lot lots of residents there and lots of artists that are that are currently living in DP. Yeah, we created a, a show called This Land um, in collaboration with Candlelit Tales and Raymond Keane, as well as Farah and the young artists that are that are currently there. Creativity is used as such a tool to sort of self-actualize and individuate. And I think we forget how highly collaborative it can be yep. and how you can communicate in a very sort of non-verbal, intuitive way through the arts. So bringing together this group of people who had not yet collaborated but to explore the ideas of identity and belonging and digging into Irish mythology. And sorry that show that you're talking to so that was in part of St. Patrick's? That was part of St. Patrick's Festival yeah that took place in the Civic and in the Concert Hall Okay. Um, and we've hopes to do it again and to build on it. So we're looking at doing I guess sort of we can't call it like this land part two but sort of a jumping off point and, and developing what we've created. It was a really really special piece it was really wonderful well now Aaron you've been here 10 years and the Ireland that you came to even in 10 years it's quite different yeah it's um and even just having different kinds of people from different countries being immigrants here but it seems to me that a kid growing up now in Ireland would know people from more different places than a kid growing up like 20 years ago. Oh my God, absolutely. That's true. Yeah. Like one of my first friends here kept talking to me about how he was from like a mixed marriage. And for a whole year, I just assumed he was like a white looking mixed guy. But then it turned out his mom was Protestant. Yeah. And that yeah. was what the mixed marriage That's what a mixed marriage means. Yeah. yeah. When I grew up in Balmoral County Mayo, everybody was Mayo looking. And then the Polish arrived and we thought that was super exotic. <laughs> but now, like, you know, everybody gets their hair cut by the Brazilian guy. <laughs> We're going to be a much better looking country in, a, in, a, in another 20 years or so. <laughs> um, so you, in a way, you're sort of part of that change. Are you keenly aware of something like that? Or are you? I mean, growing up, I, I was aware that I was very different. <laughs> it was interesting because it was mostly kids growing up, you know, around my age. They would turn around and be like, 
who's that? Never seen them before because it's a small community yes, in Offaly. Yeah. So everyone knows each other, the same names, same neighborhood. People don't li- like leave Offaly, like Tullamore especially. People don't leave Tullamore. So coming <laughs> well, there. Well, why would they? There's everything there. <laughs> There's an Aldi uh, and everything. Apart from the fact that yeah, we don't have Aldi. any pennies. Not, you know. <laughs> um, like, especially with music and artists coming out and people being more open and I can see the acceptance and like change with everything, even in terms of like media. A question that was kind of being asked for a very long time was, okay, now that we have like different people in terms of like the urban setting coming out with music, what is that sound? Is it like Irish music? Do we call it Irish music? Yeah. You know, all these questions. But it's it's interesting and it's fun to be part of it because it's like, let it be. Let it just yeah. grow, yeah. you know. Let people explore. Let people experience the sound that they want. I actually know Farah, actually. We were talking about this. And we're just like exploring, you know, just experience your life as it is. You have the voice. You have whatever sort of art, artistic view. Express yourself with that. And in years to come, people will look back and be like, okay, this is the, what Ireland was like before. You know, just experience like that. Say, say your truth. Live your truth. Yeah. You know, part of me is now sympathetic to your mother and, yeah, you should have become a lawyer. Shifra, <laughs> <laughs> let's have some music. First of, of all, I want to point out to the listeners at home that you have brought with you like a full-on orchestra <laughs> harp. A full-on orchestra harp. Like we've had a harp, harp. In, the, in the studio before, St. Sisters um, Irish harp. It's a beautiful harp. Oh, yeah. A, a yeah. beautiful and a, and a big clumsy Absolutely. thing. Absolutely, yeah. But this yours is, is the fabulous full beast. On. Well, this, this belongs to Maeve McKenna, my wonderful harpist here. Yes, hi Maeve. Maeve is there and she's going to um, and Maeve on it for does you. A, a magic trick where she manages to get this absolutely ginormous, fabulous beast onto this trolley and just like, you know, brings it up three flights of stairs. <laughs> um, so tell us what the piece is, Jifra. So we're going to perform a piece as part of a project of mine called Sphinx, which is sort of a, a chamber music experimental avant-pop type project. Right, so it's um, going to be on top of the pops. It's top of the pops, yeah, Whatever the equivalent is. One, yeah. <laughs> um, so we're going to perform a, um, a piece from that set called Flux. Please do. Now, uh, Shiva, you're playing piano, and the lovely Maeve who's joining us is playing the giant harp. Comes the storm so fierce. 
rips through the town, silences the streets, still it won't speak. So you're, you're trained as a soprano. Is that how you first got into yeah. music seriously? Yeah, so I was training in, in classical singing and did music in college and then ended up majoring in composition. So I've been kind of weaving the, the two yeah. together. So talk to me about the boxing thing. So last year I was on a program at the concert hall, which was a female orchestral conducting program. Yeah, which is a sort of big deal. I mean, you said that sort of casually. But in the music world, there are very few yeah. female conductors. Extremely few. Yeah. And I realized it was something that I'd yeah. really wanted to do, but just had sort of never really considered pursuing. And But I noticed from my artillery of physical gestures, I grew up doing, you know, ballet as a kid and whatnot. And, but I found it really difficult to express anger or aggression in a performance space or just generally I didn't have the physical vocabulary to articulate aggression and that's why I started boxing so I got quite into it last year as part of the part of the program and found it well really you know exhilarating and and again it was the year that repeal was going on as well so it was good to you know let let out some some latent bubbling anger and whatnot. I assume you don't turn up at a boxing club and sort of Hi, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a soprano and learning <laughs> conducting and I realise I need to channel anger better. I, <laughs> like, like, <laughs> I mean, the, the setup is very, very unglamorous. There's a shed at the back of my granny's house. And mm. my little cousin, but my, my, my feisty cousin, um, was the one who took me on and he, he teaches me one-on-one. We go out and we blare Kendrick Lamar in the back of granny's gaff at 9pm. And again, the neighbours are like, what's going on? <laughs> But yeah, it was something that I that I find yeah enjoyable and just a whole new gestural palette as well. That was kind of what what drew me to it. And um, one of the things that I read about the, the conducting business, and uh, I was like, okay, wait, how does that work? Is that you are singing and conducting at the same time? Mm. Run that by me. Yeah, I've been really inspired by a woman called Barbara Hannigan, who's an incredible soprano and a conductor. And when I saw her doing both, I was like, what? She's singing and, and conducting and there's no women that even conduct. It was like, what? And I just found it mind-blowing. And yeah, Wait, is, I, so she, is she standing in front of an orchestra? She's, yeah. Back to the audience kind of vibe? Well, you're rehearsing facing the orchestra. And then when you go to perform, so there's like, you know, let's say there's a lot that's implied gesturally in rehearsals. And then you slowly pull back to 
the bare minimum of, of what's needed. And then the, you turn, so you're facing the audience for the performance. So you're still sort of in the in the driving seat, but you're not micromanaging every every tiny thing. And you don't need to do that anyway when you're working with incredible musicians. Yes, yeah. But yeah, this is kind of my... Well, that's make- why I think a lot of people on the outside kind of think of the conducting as a bit of a bullshit thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Who, who's this, uh, who's this fellow waving his hands? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, totally, totally. Uh, don't worry, I've learned. Uh, yeah, it's been fun trying to kind of then bring all these threads together and converge it into uh, you know, one thing. Uh, after talking to you for a while, I'm pretty convinced that if anyone is going to smash the patriarchy, it might actually <laughs> be you. Erin, <laughs> that, 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 that's in your wheelhouse too, really, isn't it? Female I uh, hope so. Yes. I want to do some smashing <laughs> yeah. as well. I mean, you've articulated it in, in your poetry and stuff. It's a concern of yours, in a sense. Yeah, I had, um, poetry is really handy because you can say the things that you weren't able to say in a particular time. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. And I had this mentor, it was a total me too thing, where this mentor had been really helpful and then he took me out to lunch and he was like, yeah, I have a lot of contacts in the literary world, but I don't help people who are distant. And essentially it was like, if you have sex with me, I'll get you a book deal. And then somehow managed to leave the lunch without paying for his own lunch. So I had to like <laughs> buy a sandwich after that. But I wrote this poem about it. It's kind of saying all the things that I It's like a revenge to. poet. Poetry as revenge. Poetry as rallying cry. Okay. <laughs> well, yeah. You call it what you want to call yeah. it. <laughs> and because yeah. so you are also, you're writing at the moment. Yeah. So I'm writing, I'm doing a project. I'm trying to um, incorporate different sounds into my music because, um, you know, it's all about experience and trying to learn what you like and what other people like. Um, I remember um, I went to like a psychiatrist, you know, just one of those ones in my previous job. He was like, oh, why are you smiling all the time when you're telling me something that upsets you? And I was like, um, I don't know, it's just something I do. And he was like, do you feel numb? And I was like, whoa, that's the word I've been using like all the time. But like when I'm translating to people, like it's like I'm fine, but in my music, that's where I like write all my emotions. Mm. It starts off as poetry, and then I kind of call it a prose. It's not. It doesn't have like a set structure like poetry. Yeah. Um, and then it goes into a song. So that's the way I conduct my. I things. mean, the ultimate ambition with this writing at the moment is to put a show together. Oh with- yeah, hundred percent. So I'm gonna have my own show. I'm praying it'll be in September. It's gonna be great because I have a whole vision planned for it. <laughs> like one of my inspirations is Erica Badu and yes. um a girl's got a badoo yeah. what a girl's got a badoo. <laughs> <laughs> and like at um Etta James, I was watching one of her videos and like it's just incredible the way she owns the stage, mm. things like that. Like just that energy, that rawness, you know how you feel at that present moment, you know, making other people feel it yeah. with you. And another thing that I do in my shows that I did previously last year was that um, I like to write songs at the moment with beats. So what I do is that I get my band, Barra here. Barra is the band. <laughs> no, he's one of he's the, one yeah. Of <laughs> so um, what we did was that we basically, um, I would ask people in the audience, I was like, okay, give me a theme, a word, um, of an experience or how you feel right now and a situation and then on the spot we create a song wow. yeah you are brave <laughs> that's that's great it's worked out yeah. Yeah. now Declan yeah. tell me about the exhibition so uh, about a year and a half ago long after moving to Canfara and letting everything lie all about my granddad's past and just you know blending into the community becoming 
and not really anybody knowing much about that. I just became one of the people who lived there. Yeah. And um, I got a letter in the door from one of the older kind of locals, and he said, you know, I know you're a singer. He said, but I would like to talk to you, not about yourself, but about your granddad. He said, uh, and... I remembered seeing these paintings around the, the town when I was a kid. This guy is 72, 73 now. And he said, and my, my father was a friend. He used to talk about your granddad. He said he was the famous, Michael Colleen, the famous painter from Canvara, you know. He said, when we grew up, all there was was Michelangelo, Leonardo da Vinci, and Michael Colleen <laughs> in Canvara, you know. So he said, I, I, I've always wanted to know who this man was and find out more about him. And he said, I have a local radio show on Kimvara FM. Will you come on and talk? And I said, I would. So we went and did this, and it was during a festival last October. And the next day, uh, somebody who had heard the show contacted me and said, you know, uh, there's a painting here that was found in the rafters of the barn in the house I moved into. And this woman is the daughter of Frank O'Connor, the, the, uh, the famous writer. And she said it was so badly damaged, we couldn't make out what it was, but she had worked in, she had owned an art gallery in France, San Francisco one time and knew it could be salvaged and she was very curious, who's not finding a painting in the, in the attic, you know, really old. And uh, she said she didn't have the money at the time, but just got it stopped from deteriorating. And last year, after 15, 20 years, finally got the money, brought it to Dublin got it restored and this face of a young man appeared and you know a month or two later she heard me and this guy John talking on the radio about my granddad said I wonder is it him and it was a painting a self-portrait of him when he's about 16 just before he left so we decided then to gather up his paintings and have an exhibition in Kavara for the first time ever. You say gathered them up, but they gathered them up from where? All, all around the family and, you know, we followed lots of little leads. We gathered up about 40 paintings and uh, there's got to be lots more, but that's, you know, plenty for us at the moment. So the exhibition is going to be in Kavara in August? The Kavara Courthouse, it starts uh, August 2nd and runs until the 17th. It's called A Distant Place. Public exhibition of the works of Michael Killeen. Yeah. Now, you're going to play us out, I think, Declan. Lovely. And the song is called... The song is called uh, The Stars Over Canvara. It ties together the history of my granddad and me and, and the baby now, three generations, I suppose. What's your, what's your son's name? It's a son, isn't Lundov. Lundov? Yeah, Irish for Blackbird. Oh, that's yeah. unusual. It is, isn't it? It's different, unusual. Beautiful no, words. <laughs> yeah. um, um, London, well, that's beautiful. Yeah. But it's a nice name, isn't it? Yeah, it is, beautiful yeah. name, yeah. Well, let's hear it. Uh... Okay. I personally would like to say I love being on your show, Panty. We're very oh. proud of you in this country, and, and it's wonderful to see all this amazing talent and young talent coming up, isn't it? It's just gorgeous. Well, thank you for being here, too. We've loved having you. Summer nights on his racing bike 
your great When art classes were done in Galway town, cycled home the miles between, and the moon overhead led him home as he sped, till the stars over Kinvara said, Welcome home. Long before I ran to be your old man, I dreamed of living here, where Atlantic waves neath Dungora's gaze keep the air so fresh and clear. I was twenty-five when I first laid eyes on where I knew I'd find my children's eyes and the stars over Kinvara said welcome home. That first night I drove you and mommy home I pulled over in Ballanderine I just had to pull in I had never seen Such a sky of gems that gleamed Oh, Ryan was out And the starry all the night was on display Over the burn, the road and the bay There were ten more lights that shone For each one of our own passed on And I dreamed that my gold was shining down on you when the stars over Kinvara said welcome home when the stars over Kinvara said welcome That is it from this episode of Pantasocracy. Thank you to all of my guests, Kinvara's favourite son, Declan O'Rourke, the Sphinx-like Shifra Quinlan, and uh, the outspoken Aaron Fornoth and the diva-esque Tolum Kay. Um, thank you for listening. You can catch up um, on all episodes of Pantasocracy, including this one, and see videos of various performances at pantasocracy.ie and podcasts at all good podcast homes. Thank you so much. Talk soon.